Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. So for this episode of the Love Call Gifted podcast, I'm joined by Jill and John, who are Waterways chaplains. So thank you ever so much for having this conversation. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, you're very welcome. So we sort of met by chance yesterday, didn't we? I was coming along the canal with a friend from my Hindu, (laughs) of all things, and we got chatting because you were sort of sitting by the side of your boat, which is called Faithful. It's beautiful, actually. And we got talking about what it is that you do. So do you want to just explain a little bit about what a waterways chaplain is? It's a bit like street pastors, but with different clientele and much better working hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I used to be involved in something called Night Church. I think that's similar. So we would open, we worked with street pastors and we would open up a space in the middle of the town centre and just see who we encountered and what conversations we had. So you're saying it's a little bit like that? It's a little bit like that. We want to bring Jesus onto the towpath and to people associated with the canals in any way possible. But also, we're there in a practical sense to help these people in any way possible because, you know, it can be very lonely on the canal system. And suddenly something goes wrong or you're trying to get yourself out of a mess. A lot of people don't know where to turn. Yeah. And Waterways Chaplains is always there and is always available and will make themselves available to any situation and help in any way possible. Yeah. So do you know how Waterways Chaplains got started in the first place? If you go back far enough, when the canals were working environments, the Salvation Army effectively operated a chaplaincy along the canals in most most areas. If you look at canal boats with funnels, if you see three brass bands with two red bands between them, that used to symbolise that Salvationists would be welcome. Oh, how fascinating. But in 19, I think possibly in the 60s, I can't remember exactly when, they stopped because the canals were dying and there wasn't really any need for them. And then around 2000, somebody at the Diocese of St Albans thought there might be a need. So the Bishop of St Albans sent two people to go investigate and the answer was, yes, there was a need. So that is when it it started. There are now something in the region of 120 of us. Some have boats, most don't. Most operate a fixed patch. Some just wander around the the network. We are now sort of under the auspices of the church army right so effectively we are part of the church of england in a sense although the chaplains themselves are from pretty much every denomination so you need to be a christian and you need to be part of a church and wanting to as you say bring jesus to the towpaths yes. yeah yeah okay how would you define a chaplaincy what is a chaplain 
primarily it's a caring role, a pastoral role. The spiritual aspect is secondary. People our primary role is to make sure people are safe and well, both physically and mentally, then spiritually. So what is it, when you say you want to bring Jesus to the topaz, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to have Jesus with you and bringing that to people? Well, it's actually just like he was, he came, he called the disciples and then he, they went to the people. Yeah. We're there in a ministerial role as well as in the practical role of helping in everyday situations or you might get somebody who has got cancer and needs help, needs can't keep moving their boat. So to help them, well, get in touch with Canal and River Trust and ask, can you keep your boat here? Which we have found Canal and River Trust are really good and they will do that. And to be in that role of a bit like a hospital chaplain or a railway chaplain in that kind of role. You're there in a practical, but they're always there spiritually for them if needed. It sounds like if somebody wants a bit of help with almost anything, then you're prepared to have a conversation about that. Yes. Yes. So often, often we may act as an advocate for a boater between them and Canal and River Trust. Yeah. Although what we will tend to try to do is encourage them to do it. So what we actually try to create is independence to some extent so that people can deal with the situation themselves. But almost anything, you know, if, if somebody was to you know, contact us and say, we're going through this fight of locks tomorrow, could you help? If we were free, the answer would be yes. Yeah. You know, so we can help people through a fight of locks. We can help people benefit claims, <laughs> pretty much anything. <laughs> I suppose, as long as it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the most unusual thing you've done, do you reckon? Or one of the most unusual things you've done? The the most unusual thing we did was we were travelling along a, a stretch of canal and we had three, three gentlemen, two middle-aged gentlemen and one elderly gentleman. They flagged us down. It was actually a father and his two sons. And one of the sons said... We've walked Dad too far and we need to get him back to our car. <laughs> Can you give him a lift? <laughs> so, uh, yes, we, we put him on the front of the boat and uh, he had a boat ride for the rest of the journey. And the, the, the two sons decided they fancied walking the rest of the way, but they were offered a lift as well. But that was... Uh... And I yeah. spent time talking to him and he was absolutely delightful. Told me all his his uh, time in the past and how he'd worked and such an interesting career and it was lovely talking to him mm. so he really had a good day i think <laughs> <laughs> it definitely sounds like it yeah yeah because you talked about benefits claims yes. and things and i'm wondering if sometimes people get stuck oh. in that being of no fixed abode and then struggling to kind of make claims and that yes. kind of thing yes 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 it's getting better there was a ruling by a high court judge about three years ago, which effectively stated that a boat is living accommodation and the costs directly associated with the boat and where it is constitute rent. Right. So the licence fee constitutes rent. The mooring fee constitutes rent. So that ruling now means that people can claim those costs as housing benefit or housing benefit elements of universal credit. 
So poverty is not something, I'm thinking about waterways, it's not something that would immediately come to mind for me as being something that people struggle with. But it sounds like what you're saying is that actually that is a, an issue for people. There are okay. estimated to be 15,000 boats that are people's homes. Right. And people take that option for multiple reasons. Either I'm so well off I can afford a, a boat and I'm just going to do it. I can't afford anything except a boat and I'm going to do it. So, so you actually get the, the extreme. And the reasons people go on to boats sometimes is to get away from problems and issues uh, and they think it's going to be problem free it's not problem free it's just that the problems are different people on them can be very very poor uh, and can struggle and there used to be a problem with getting appointments with doctors if you lived on a boat that now i believe has been dealt with completely because it's actually illegal not to see a boater on on those grounds quite a lot of people just can't access something because they don't know so often we just point people in the right direction to sort of say you need to talk to these people you need to look at this website often that will will actually help them to solve their problems also one of the other things I found with one gentleman in particular was his problems were so many, he just couldn't see a way through. And it was just a simple case of saying, let's forget all those. Let's deal with this one. So his boat had no safety certificate. Because it had no safety certificate, it couldn't have insurance. Because it hadn't got either of those, he couldn't have a license to be on the waterway. So Canal and River Trust were starting legal proceedings so the first thing was to us and him to contact canal River trust to say that the chaplaincy was involved and we thought we could solve it we sorted out his boat safety certificate by we actually found some funding for that normally we can't find that kind of money but we managed so now he could insure his boat he he had been out of work and he was now working so he felt he could do this. And then he spoke to CRT about how to repay his outstanding license fees. But it was just a case of getting everything in order so he could deal with one problem at once. And, and I'm still in contact with him you know, every couple of months. I'll send him a text to find out how he's doing. And this goes back, what, year, year and a half more? More than a year and a half now, probably getting off two years ago. And every couple of months, I'll send him a text to see how he's doing. And he's, he's fine. He's pretty much sorted. It really makes me think about the fact that actually you talked earlier about the waterways sometimes being a lonely place and quite often when you're by yourself with a whole pile of problems and you haven't got easy access to a community of people or friends that will come alongside you to help you to sort of think things through actually what you're bringing then is that sort of mobile mobile community somebody to walk with them. Yes yeah. I suppose in the way that Jesus walks with us. But there is a lot of communities on, on apps now. I'm part of a boat as women. So people, if you actually can say to them, are you part of this app? And they'll say, ah, no, yeah. well, try joining that if you yeah. want to. You're talking about women on the cut, aren't yes. you? Which is a very helpful one for women who are boating. There's a community there that look after each other. Because the canal and the boaters community is wonderful and they do look after each other and they care for each other. And, and the community is strung out over 2,000 miles. That's part of the problem is that 
and it's a transient community. So, yeah. you know, boater A and boater B will meet and they'll get on really well and then not see each other for two or three years. It sounds like sometimes you come across people who are, they've either been a bit isolated or they're very new to the lifestyle, so they haven't found their way in and you can help them to find a way through. Yes. Or I think sort of worst case scenarios are where life goes pear-shaped. You get a couple who sell the house, buy a boat and life's wonderful. And then one of them dies or gets seriously ill. And suddenly their entire world is turned completely upside down. And, and then what to do? and how to deal with the problem. There are lots of times when people are in a situation like suddenly to find out that their partner's got cancer or needs an operation or they themselves need a serious operation. And on that spiritual side, it's good to be able to hold a hand, pray for them. And I very rarely find anybody that says no. And to keep in touch and say, how are you doing? I've got the group praying for you. And people are very happy for you to do that, knowing that you're a chaplain. Yes, yeah. So that gives you an opening. Yes, yeah. yes, it does. Yeah, I used to find that with night church, actually. The fact that we were called night church yeah. meant that people sometimes were happy to have conversations about faith and about spirituality and about where they were at that they probably wouldn't have had if I had just been anybody Yes. Mm. So it does, it kind of opens a door sometimes, doesn't it? Yes, and being a chaplain does open doors especially with Canal and River Trust, they trust us. Yeah. They know we're there for the boat. Uh, we'll do as much as we can to help, as well as look after them. We're very happy to pray and spend time with them. And and the homeless on the towpath. There's quite a lot sometimes. I mean, we used to know a gentleman who just had a tent and he loved in his tent. He, he, he had this tent by the side of the canal. I'm convinced Canal and River Trust were tiny turning a blind eye because he just kept the place neat and tidy and he wasn't a problem. And he loved talking to us. And if we went past him on the boat, he'd be waving at us <laughs> and, you know, and he the knew only... who we were and what we stood for. Yeah. And so The only help he, he ever took was your homemade cakes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can vouch for the fact that your homemade cakes are very, very good. So tell us about how you ended up getting started with this in the first place. Let's go back a little bit further. How long have you both been Christians? Oh, a long time. Um, I was 23 and I'm 67 now. <laughs> okay, so a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and me a year later. Right. So we're going back to the early 80s. So yes, a long time. Were you together at that point? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, we've been married for... 48 eight. now. I think we'd had our first child and we were about to have our second one. No, and, we'd had, um, no, we had two. That's... Uh, <laughs> you had some children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, we, we've got four now. So we've been Christians a long time. So Kelly, I'm interested in this story, though. How old were you when you got married? Am I allowed to ask you that? I was 19. But I was 24. Oh, goodness. You were properly young. Yes, we were. How did you meet? Uh, we were both <laughs> nurses. <laughs> right, yeah. No, we had no, a bizarre, no. bizarre meeting. <laughs> uh, we, we met in a mental hospital. Right. But we were working. <laughs> so you were psychiatric nurses? Uh, no, general yeah. nurses, but doing our psychiatric training. Yeah. I was doing a three-month secondment to psychiatry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jill was a nursing cadet at that time, weren't you? Yes, and I was doing some dancing, mirror dancing with the patients. And John 
just said to his friend, she's not bad looking for a... For a patient. Patient. <laughs> because I didn't have a uniform on because I was doing this dancing. Uh, and that's how we met. We've we've moved around sort of the country a little bit. At that point in time, we were living in Wakefield and we stayed in Wakefield till 77. And then moved over to Lancashire and lived there for... 23, 23 years. years. And then we moved down near Stratford-upon-Avon in 2003. Right. Those moves were work-related. I left nursing when we were still living in Wakefield and went into IT. So I've worked in IT for virtually my entire working life. I was brought up in a, a little parish church in a mining village in South Yorkshire. Went to Sunday school, etc. But had no real faith as such. I knew it all, but I didn't know it all. So, so you're pointing it ahead. So yeah. you've got, so you had an understanding, and then you're saying you didn't know it, yes. sort of in your, in my heart, in your heart. Yeah, my, what do we call it? My surrender, which is why it was a year after Jill. It was just that. It was a, okay, Lord, I give in. Hmm. So, what had happened for you? Did you come from a churchy background? Not really. My grandmom, she was a Methodist, and mm -hmm. uh, I do believe she was a Christian and. My recollection of her was rocking her chair with me and singing hymns, which I thoroughly loved. So I didn't really go to church. Yeah. And a friend was going to a church supper, which I thought was very sad. <laughs> she was going to a <laughs> church supper. So you're thinking she ought to have had more fun things to do with her life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you go along out of sympathy by any chance? No, no I babysat for her to go to this church supper. <laughs> And she got talking to me and I was lonely at the time because I'd moved from my family. So we were living in an area that I didn't know anybody and now starting to, to make friends. And she brought her, her friend and we were just having coffee and they just gave me a leaflet, which was Selwyn Hughes of people of our range will know Selwyn Hughes. Mm -hmm. And I just shoved it up my sleeve, actually. Got home, John went out and I suddenly remembered this leaflet so I read the leaflet and thought I don't disagree with that I don't disagree that Jesus didn't die and I don't disagree that he rose again I'm not quite sure about this Holy Spirit bit just said say this prayer so I got on my knees you know that's what you do and put my hands together said this prayer and suddenly I knew Jesus had walked in the room and don't ask me how I knew that but I did a real kind of encounter. So I had uh, an encounter, not in the church, but outside the church. But of course, you know, John took a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your moment? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a moment. Right. Somehow I got invited to a full gospel businessman's fellowship international dinner. That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Yes, I've seen the advertising for that. I've not been not being a full gospel man, yeah. but I have, yes. Right, so so anyway, so I said to Jill, oh, go on then, I'll come with you, you know, sort of thing. But there better be none of this hallelujah, praise the Lord stuff. And guess what the first words said at that meeting were? Hallelujah, praise <laughs> the Lord. And I'm thinking, no. Uh, the, the, the guy who spoke at that dinner really spoke to me. And it was, for want of a better sort of description, it was very difficult to leave there unsaved. 
but I that was the turning point where I was really, really arguing with God about this. Now, actually, to argue with God, if you had not sure God exists, is a bit futile, really. It's like you sort of already given in, almost. You, yeah. Well, you're all, if you're if you, the moment you're talking to God about it, mm. you're trying to negotiate a settlement that is reasonable that you can cope with. And in the end, I gave up and decided. There was never going to be a settlement I could cope with, and I was just going to have to give in. <laughs> but I knew, and so, I said, something's happened to you. I said, you've given your life to Jesus. And I, I wanted to open the windows and scream out, hallelujah. Yeah. And he said, yes, but don't say anything. <laughs> and here's his wonderful extrovert wife who was desperately <laughs> wanting I'm going to tell the world. Tell the world, you know. How did you know what had changed? Well, he changed. He just, he wasn't arguing about me saying anything. And okay. his mannerisms had become more gentle. And, and I'm thinking, wow, what's happening here? And, and I just knew it. it was like there was a, a shine about him that I hadn't seen before. And he just had changed, yeah. which is what happened with me, I suppose. In that respect, he knew I changed. He knew I didn't know anything about the Bible or anything like that. And suddenly I was reading a Bible and starting to understand things. And uh, and he thought, well, I'll be a face. She'll give up. Well, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I did actually think it was just a face she was going to. She, she'll be all right in six months or so. We're now you know, <laughs> a few years on. Um, <laughs> so what difference would you say being Christians, having had that kind of encounter with God, what difference has that made to you both in your lives? Well, I, I think we became a family. We became a really close family. And and God gave John a word that as for us and our household, we will always follow the Lord. Um, my four children all follow the Lord. One's uh, a missionary. One's a children's worker. In a church. In a church. And one plays the drums. In church. <laughs> in church. And one is great with the youth. And they've all got children of their own. And their wives are all Christians. So in that respect, I really believe God called us to be disciples, which you can put it back to chaplaincy, that we're still disciples. But as retired, we are now available much more to be able to do what God called us to do. So how has your understanding of God changed over the years? What what would you say now about God that you might not have said 20, 30 years ago? I would say I've got a bit more wisdom. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think God is more forgiving than I thought he was. Right. Much more. And I'm just glad I'm not God. Of course, that would be really sad for everybody. <laughs> I think understanding God's love and grace yeah. over the years has taken a long time. I think I started out where God was the God of the Old Testament, you know. So rules and smite it. Yes, and yeah. you behave yourself and, you know, and I think I learned the three Bs, what we call the three Bs. Okay. Which is... Believe, no, behave and belong. Yes. But the other way around. Uh, but it, yes, it, sometimes churches often get these the wrong way round, right? Because we expect people to behave uh, before they 
believe before we'll let them belong. And in actual fact, we actually need to take it the other way around and let them belong. So God's already invited them to belong. Yes. Yes. Right. And then maybe they'll believe. And once they believe, eventually they may behave. Well, that's up to God to speak to them. And we're not here to judge. So there might be a change in the way that somebody chooses to live their life. But that's not where it starts. So what you're saying is that actually over the years, your understanding of God's including and loving of people very much for you now comes first whereas a number of years ago the well you need to do the right thing might have come first yes to some extent i, I wouldn't have been quite so rigid of as some of the people i knew in our first church old style brethren right so when you say to some extent you're saying that you were already you'd already got some of that understanding well well i certainly did yeah but but i think i never felt anybody was irredeemable Mm. So you have shifted, but you're saying you weren't as far kind of into the sort of legalistic. Yes. But that kind of view of God as, yeah. as wanting to organise everybody's behaviour. As... But I'm now much more. So it's been a growth of an understanding that you already had the kernel of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So I... I think you do grow in wisdom mm. when you get older. Yes. I think what was black and white for me, I was very black and white Christian when I first gave my life to Jesus, mm. I would say that there are grey areas which I understand more and can accept more now mm. and would love anybody. It's really interesting because actually all that you've described when you've talked about meeting people on the waterways, you haven't talked about what anybody believes about anything. You haven't talked about how they live their lives. What you've talked about is coming alongside people who are in need or who need a bit of company and simply being there unconditionally, that kind of... Yes. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is that you are, you're extending that welcome that Jesus has for everybody. Yes. It, it, it almost sounds like, or it does sound like everybody on the canal waterways, as, you, as far as you're concerned, belongs. Yes. I mean, yesterday, I, I, me and my friend only had to walk past your boat to be kind of on your patch. Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes. We, 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 and we, I spoke to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which was lovely to find out that you were getting married. Yes. Yeah, no, that was delightful. We, we have a very, very fluid parish. Yeah. <laughs> we're not here to judge people's lifestyles or morals or anything yeah we're here to come alongside people i i had a wonderful conversation with a gentleman in stratford basin many years ago where i said hello i'm a waterways chaplain how are you doing he said i'm an atheist <laughs> and i said oh good and then we continued to chat for an hour and a half <laughs> and i left him yeah. and i gave him a leaflet one of our leaflets and said you may be interested in this, if only to give to another boater who needs our help. Yeah. At which point he took it. And I've always used that approach with, with people who are a little bit anti initially, is this leaflet isn't for you. It's for you to give to another boater who needs help because they're not taking it because they need help. They're taking it so they can help somebody else. Yes. And you are not implying that they are in need of help correct but we do have some lovely bibles good no. news for everyone good news for everyone which used to be the gideons 
Oh right, okay. I didn't know about that. That's yeah. I'll, I'll get one. I'll get one later. I'll give you. Um, one. You, you can take one away with you. And we'd like you to have it for your wedding. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's really kind. And we yeah. also have a prayer that we gave out, which a, was a, written a, by a boater. That's a, a, a little fridge magnet. And so. my vision is that every boater has one. That's what I want to see. That's my vision as being a chaplain, is that every boater could have one of these prayers on their boat. It's lovely. And I find most people, have, in fact, I've never had somebody not take one either. Because it's specifically for the boaters. It's a boater's prayer. Oh, yes, we do big ones, you know. So as I become elderly, That's you can give me a large print. Because there are some very elderly people on the canal. You just chat to people on boats. You're at locks. And the men chat if they're in a double lock and are usually driving. I mean, there are some really good women drivers who like driving. But mainly the women like opening the locks and they will chat away. And this lady, they were doing the locks coming down Stratford, actually. And this lady could hardly see. <laughs> she was waiting for an operation and she could hardly see. And I just suddenly thought, well, this poor lady and her husband, he was sort of jumping off the boat, running to the next lot, sorting it out, jumping back to the boat, and the boat was getting further to the point. I had to jump on the boat and reverse it before it went to the <laughs> other side of the canal. And in the end, I turned round and went up the, did the locks for them, to which my family was wondering where on earth I got to because I disappeared. <laughs> So you've you've given me a copy of this this lovely prayer that your so it's your prayer that all boats should have a copy of this. Yes. So I'm wondering, Jill, do you want to finish off for us by reading your prayer for people on their boats? Okay. Heavenly Father, your Son Jesus Christ stilled the storm, bringing peace and safety to those in the boat. We ask that this boat may be a place of safety and peace and that by our spirit we may bring your peace to others. Amen. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com and that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening.